Hey guys, how are y'all doing? Oh, amazing. amazing. Thank you guys for being willing to meet me at 8 and 7 o'clock in the morning on Daylight Savings Time morning when we lost an hour. <laughs> <laughs> we sprung forward. We almost lost a podcaster. <laughs> Yeah, I was uh, I, I was dead to the world, I guess. I, I didn't hear my alarm. Well, nothing that uh, five phone calls in a row can't solve, right? Welcome to Sci-Fi and Fantasy Read Along. My name is Yule. Hey, Yule. How's it going? <laughs> this is DM Phil That's riding ATM the train wreck. That's Phil, yeah. <laughs> All right. And we're here to talk about the last chapter of The Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldritch. Yeah. By Philip K. Dick, and woo, what a chapter! It's over. What a book. It's what over. Book. We can. We are done. It's a shorty too. I got to admit, by the end of the book, I am looking forward to moving on to whatever we're doing. Oh, so we'll talk about that at the very end. Sure thing. I mean, I'm just saying that, like, you know, there's like this anticipation of getting the book done, and it's a little sad also when we come to the end. But I um, love coming yeah. to the last chapter. Because we get this nice little bit of closure, we get to take a you know a couple of weeks off, and then we get to jump into a new book. And this time, we're all pretty excited about that book. Well, again, that's for the end of this uh, episode. We'll get there. We will get there. <laughs> okay, so do we have any complaints, problems, uh, praises that we want to get out of the way now? Um, I'm happy to finally get a download from Palmer Eldritch in this book. What did he download to you? No, I just he, he, he came clean on everything on his side of the story. We think. Oh, so you feel like you understand Palmer Eldritch now? Yeah. Okay. All right. I will have some uh, mud to throw in that water when we get to the end, I suppose. Oh, oh, don't get me wrong. There's plenty of I don't comprehend anything in this chapter, but there's we get we get some fine meat on the bone from from Palmer, and I, I it was very gratifying or satisfying. I wasn't really expecting it. Because I guess I tend to expect that the second to last chapters are usually the ones where we get all of the meat and the closure comes at the final, right? In the last chapter. And I feel like we didn't get any closure in this chapter. And all we did was get the second to last chapter and like what happened to the final chapter. But I guess it happened in that last sentence. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a cliffhanger, and it, it leaves it open-ended, and I'm okay with that, because then you're like, I want to know what happened, and that kind of... That, well, that, it's good classic sci-fi, where at the very end, you get that little uh-oh, or you get the little twist, or you get the little, you know, the thing. Harlan Ellison was real good at it, but um, here we are. Here we are. All right, so let's let's get started, shall we? Chapter 13. We begin with Barney and Anne. They're on the surface of Mars, up in... Ooh, the Feinberg Crescent, which let's let's say it now. I'm going to say it now. This is eh, equivalent to maybe the nicest part, most farmable, arable land on Mars, right? Yeah. Maybe it's their fertile crescent. All right, so they're talking. Barney's actually been tilling the land. He's tired from it. Oh, no. His legs are weary. Well, his legs were weary from last chapter. When yeah. he got off of the choosy trip, and he's now kind of recovered from that, and he's having a philosophical conversation with Anne, whom in the last chapter he assaulted and stole from in order to take better drugs, more and better drugs. More, more drugs. All right, so what they're talking about, Barney is arguing, they're, they're having an argument. Barney is arguing that this thing 
that found and took over Palmer Eldritch might be God. And Anne is correcting him that it cannot possibly be God. It can be one of his creations, but it is not God. And then she tells the cat joke, which is not a joke at all. It's about ontology. It's a parable. Which is kind of the um, metaphysical meaning of being or whatever. So the cat joke, what is it? There's a, a steak that's cooked? Five pounds of steak? It's not ever cooked. It's missing. It's missing. Yeah. And the cat is there. Right. What is the cat smell of steak or something like that? Um, it's licking its chops. Oh, that's right. As yeah. though it has just eaten. And then it is weighed. Which weighs the same amount as the meat that's missing. Right. So the question is, did the cat eat the snake or is the cat the steak? I think I said right. snake. <laughs> They're talking about ontology. They're having an argument about what is God. And then you've got this joke that she tells about the cat. Her point is, I think, that saying that one thing is another thing, it's not a good way to go about describing the world. She's saying that the pot is not the potter. The map is not the terrain or the land, and the creation of God is not God, even though little pieces of the creator are in the creation. It's like when you get into a car accident and you say, that car hit me. Well, the car did hit you, but it was propelled by an engine and it was steered by a person. Right. Unless it's a Tesla. <laughs> I should correct myself with the self-driving car. Wasn't it now. a Waymo car that hit somebody in Arizona? There's a lot of uh, cars that have hit people that are self-driving, but it's not any worse than real people. It's far it's better. A lot better. It's yeah. far better. But there's something about me not doing the damage to you mm-hmm. <laughs> that upsets me. I didn't I guess. do it. My car did it. <laughs> All right. So does does this first section do anything for either one of you? It's just a philosophical conversation. Again, like you said, about what is real. <laughs> I thought it was a conversation about who, what, when, and where is God. It's right. kind of what I got out of it. And Yeah, but what did you get out of it? Essentially that Palmer Aldrich is not God, but it is like a divine being. But since if God created Palmer Eldritch... Allegedly. Then it, like us, have a portion of God in them. Allegedly. Allegedly. But we are not gods ourselves, nor is Palmer Eldritch a god, just more advanced. And there is a hierarchy that's laid out, and they, they both do not dispute at all that whatever took over Palmer Eldritch is a superior being. To us. That's all I really got out of the deal. And um, I don't particularly like these kinds of conversations because um, I wouldn't have this with a stranger. I wouldn't have this with one of y'all, right? I wouldn't have this conversation. To me, it's pointless. It's like masturbating in the wind, right? Or pissing up a rope like Yule was talking about earlier. It, to me, it was a, a religious discussion more than anything else. Which it's I, two boring people talking about boring stuff. I don't know. It seemed, they were just having a normal conversation, a normal philosophical conversation. And she's like, I can see you want to be alone. I'm like, and then she kisses him, but then she comes back. And I, I, that, that whole interaction between them is like, is that healthy? Is it not healthy? Is she upset? Why is she upset? I didn't get it. They just went back and forth. And she said, I can see you want to be alone. I'm leaving. But then she stays around for like a really long time. She did stick around for a bit, but I think she mostly wanted to tell him that she had seen an artificial arm on him when he had attacked her and stolen her choosy. And I, I think to myself, like, uh, you remember Hunter S. Thompson? He said, never turn your back on a drug. This was in um, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. So if you saw the movie, Johnny Depp said it as well. Mm. 
And I think that's true in this regard as well. And I think she's a fool for getting involved with Barney after he attacked her and stole her drugs. But she saw him with an artificial arm and fake teeth and crazy eyes. She saw that. And I will point out that she was not on Choosy. She didn't have a chance to. Yeah, Barney stole her drugs. <laughs> what a jerk. Actually, he saved her from herself, right? Well, okay, so she saw the stigmata on him, and he saw the stigmata on her, and that was described in the chapter, so we knew that had happened. Well, didn't just see. I remember when he was describing it, it felt like metal fingers grasping his throat or fighting him off. Or... But they go into a discussion about what is stigmata, and it's like Palmer Eldritch is inhabiting people. And therefore, you see the stigmata. Well, that would explain why she might have uh, the artificial limb and the teeth and the eyes. Because it's uh, Barney's experience. He saw her that way. She didn't see herself that way. She saw him that way. Right. So you think that Barney's still in it? Is what you're saying? I mean, there's always that question whether or not these people are still tripping in their little prisons. Yeah. um, we also know, or at least think, that maybe when you come off the drug, there's still the... Residuals. The residuals. Yeah. And just because... I mean, yes, Anne didn't take Choosy, but anybody that's experiencing her has been taking Choosy. And although she's the control subject, it's the person that took it that's saying that she looked that way also. And maybe, maybe Palmer has a way of getting people without Cheesy. Apparently, he does. Well, that's where, like I was saying, they they were discussing it, and they were. I had the impression, and then they came out and said it that it was like the original sin that we're all born with. It's inherent within all of us. It's compared to the eating of the apple, which was described as a curse from the original quote unquote God, and this being Palmer Eldritch, the second or surrogate lesser god and his curse is choosy not an apple yeah but they said the difference is there are no like rituals or cleansing mechanisms for palmer eldritch is that what communion is supposed to be Uh... it's like please stay out of me god i don't want i don't want you anywhere near me no no i think it's accepting of god uh, the communion. I could have sworn that they That's were why saying. Choosy I know, but what Philip is describing, act. what Philip is describing, is the um, you know the ways that religion has formed to like protect the user of the religion from the deity of the religion, because God is being accused of cursing humankind, which arguably it did. Well, what else is a a period, <laughs> period. or having to till land? You know, well, being kicked out of the Garden of Eden is the curse, right? Right, or the punishment. Yeah, it's described as a curse in this. The chapter. act of living and dying is the atonement. Pain and childbirth, yeah. having to work the land. Like, remember, they got kicked out of a paradise, and in, in the area that we see now, where the Fertile Crescent is, it's still okay, but like it's been agriculturally destroyed over the last ten thousand years. It used to be a lot nicer. Maybe that's the Feinberg Crescent. I saw a lot of parallels that maybe it's just uh, me grasping at straws, maybe me seeing too many connections because I know what this, you know, whatever, too many, too many Sunday schools. So you have God, the big G, 
right? Big G. The one that lords their power over us. What a dick. <laughs> what a dick. And that's the idea that this is an evil God. Like, it's jealous. Even in Bible, it said, I am a jealous God. Hmm. You shall have no others before me. Mm-hmm. But the idea is that there is lost writings out there of a God that was placed above this God, that is above the, the God of gods, right? And that the one that we are worshiping on earth, <laughs> or at least some of us are, we're genuflecting to a very jealous, evil God. And we don't even know about the one that's right above that one. Sure. And to me in this book, the idea that Palmer Eldritch or the thing that's in him is God it feels very much like that. Like what we know, because we are so far down on the spectrum of we're insects to this thing. Oh, right? It's what we can sense, right? Right, exactly. So, you know, the idea is that maybe there's something even bigger and more godlike out there. Less accessible. Yeah, Palmer Eldritch just feels like, like an evil god. Here, I have this stuff to give you, but um, I'm going to be warping you. He feels like the god of Mars to me. Well, he wanted to be, right? Yeah, that's what he said when he was when he was explaining himself earlier. He said he wanted to be the god of Mars, and to me it's like, yeah, he's a lesser being than the quote-unquote god of Earth, but it's almost like this is the Genesis story for the Mars religion. Well, um again, if you were if you were setting up a religion over the course of time, people will reflect on this. Yeah. And they will take this as, you know, as gospel. Yep. <laughs> and it becomes a belief. You know, we have a virgin birth in a Christian religion, which is ridiculous, right? No, it's it's absolutely nuts. But, you know, it's accepted. And, you know, even though yeah, science wasn't quite what it was back then, uh, you know, maybe someone was uh, led astray. You know, this is something we still believe. I, dude, it's so easy to explain. Because people didn't know how to not get their young children pregnant. <laughs> I don't have DNA tests, you know. I uh, have stuff heard like that. that the direct, the translation of "virgin" in the Bible has been misinterpreted long ago. But I, I don't. Know I how have tr- heard that too. True, that is because I'm not a Greek scholar. I always thought that "virgin" was meant to be young, young woman. woman. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Which is not surprising, is it? A young woman gets pregnant. Big whoop. What? No, no. Well, she also said, how can I be pregnant? For I know no man. So, Which is like, please don't stone me to death. Um, <laughs> I did. God did this. What? <laughs> yeah, trust me. Yeah, what, what's more likely that uh, God had sex with a uh, virgin woman or she had it on her own and then said, I don't know how this happened. <laughs> All right. So Barney is going to work and leaves. And Barney spends some time working on the dredger or working with the dredger on an extension of a canal or cleaning out a canal or something like that. When he encounters one of the Martian native species, the telepathic jackal-like creature that was described earlier. And Philip, do you remember our conversation about this hypothetical jackal creature? And we're like, it's telepathic. And I was like... Oh, obviously it's, you know, it's a pack hunter and that's, that's what the te- telepathy is about. And, and you were like, wouldn't it be terrifying if it was like, I'm going to eat you. <laughs> Apparently that's what it is. Oh, that's literally how it introduces itself. It's like, may I eat you? <laughs> it asks. Well, him. at least it's polite. <laughs> yes, I know. You know. It's also starving. That's it. Yes. It, it, that's Do you guys it looks... remember how it was described? 
Yes, it says, it looked a little like a lean, famished old grandmother on all fours, and he realized that this was probably the jackal-headed creature which she had been warned repeatedly about. But it's terrifying, and he's just, like, nonchalant about it. This thing shows up, and it's like, may I eat you? (laughs) He's like, of course not. Don't be ridiculous. He's like, Christ, no! He, um, he turns that dredger around, and he starts heading back to Chickenpox Prospect because he wants to get away from this thing. But the dredger just, mile by mile, inch by inch, whatever, it just breaks down before he can get back to Chickenpox Prospect. Well, there's this interaction that's almost comedic from this jackal. And I was so entertained, it's like, get down off that contraption, it says. It's like, I can't reach you up there. Oh, wait, you have to get down eventually. <laughs> But it's, it's, this jackal's apparently thinking to itself. It just it can't think to itself quietly. So it, Barney hears these thoughts coming out of it. I found it very interesting. I really enjoyed that part. It was just kind of crazy. It was like this um, starving, comedic jackal in the, on the, in the Martian wilderness. <laughs> well, Barney does not want to get eaten, which I think is a pretty natural um, response to the offer, you know, the invitation to be lunch or dinner. So he grabs a wrench and gets down off of the dredger because he's got to walk home. Don't they have yeah. radios? I mean, Jesus. Now, this is the future. We don't have radio. It's true. CBs, cell phone, something. Dude, yeah, well, none of that stuff had been invented yet. I mean, this is like just after the transistor. Well, if there's no uh, if there's no towers, then why have a cell phone, right? They definitely and they're colonizing this phones. planet. Yeah. Well, what I'm saying is they're colonizing this planet, and it's tough, and not a lot of people really want to do it. <laughs> there's not going to be all the amenities, but you would think something there's, like a CB. There's dead spots in the... Yeah, you would imagine that there would be a radio in the in the cab, but there are dead spots in the United States, plenty of them. Exactly. Yeah, and we don't realize that, a lot of people. <laughs> if you get off of the interstate, even right. just a little bit in some of the remoter parts of the country, you will get dead zones all over the place. So he doesn't want to die. He's got a wrench in hand, and he's brandishing it so that this creature will realize, and he's communicating, this is my weapon, I'm going to kill you with it, whatever. But the, the jackal is hungry, starving, so it charges him. If you're that hungry, nothing's going to stop you, right? No, nothing. Except except there is something unclean. that stops it. Unclean, unclean. <laughs> The jackal realizes that Barney is unclean. Yeah, it veered off in the last five five feet or whatever. What was the deal with that? It can sense that he's unclean. Okay, I don't know how. I don't know what he really means. Well, I don't know what he's sensing, but it was enough that this starving animal is like, I can't eat you. You're unclean. Go wash yourself. How can you live like this? It was a physical cleanliness? Well, the jackal can see the arm. Mm-hmm. And the eyes. Yeah. And the teeth, and the so, jackal can sense it. What is this? What is what is this getting at? When the jackal said, "You're you're unclean," and Barney said, "Maybe we're all unclean to you," and he's like, "Just you. Look at ugh, your arm. That's something. There's something intolerably wrong with you. How can you live with yourself? Can't you cleanse yourself some way?" And I just like this was like, "Hurry up, you know, take a bath. I want to eat you." I, I I just I love this, but yeah, you're right. He said only Barney was unclean, and I, thinking about that, I I don't know what to say. This jackal isn't talking to everybody from uh, a chicken pox prospect, right? Or whatever oh. it's called. I mean, no, they're not in range, maybe? I don't know. Right. Would Norm, who saw Palmer Eldritch in the shadows, would Leo 
Would all these people be unclean? Well, or... several of them have taken it now, but I mean, this right. is a brand new development. Like people just started taking Choosy yesterday, so maybe he's not alone in being unclean. But at the same time, remember Palmer Eldritch is paying special attention to Barney. Uh, this uh, this jackal that's uh, so hungry and telepathically speaking to Barney is talking about how he's unclean. Barney is unclean, but there's no evidence that his his uh, hobble mates aren't unclean also. The jackal f***s off, and Barney walks the distance necessary to get back to Chickenpox Prospect. All right, so later that night, uh, I think Barney is getting ready for bed. He's wearing a robe, and he's, you know, classical 1960s uh, bed attire or whatever, and he gets disturbed by Norm Shine, who's extremely animated and excited about the return of Palmer Eldritch and the ship that sells the Choosy. Yeah, he's asking for skins. Yeah, it sounds like he's asking him for money. He's all, you got any skins? Because we want to get some more Choosy. He's ready. Oh my goodness, he is ready. And Barney disengages his hands from his robe and is like, um, if they want to talk to me, they have to come down here. I'm not interested. So uh, Palmer Eldritch is interested, so he comes down. Uh, well, I like this section because Barney and and Palmer have this interaction, and essentially Palmer comes clean about who and what he is and what his motivations are and what's going on, and it's like you finally get this massive payoff. It's sudden, it's kind of short, but it kind of answers a whole bunch of questions and uncertainties that we've had. So I really kind of liked it. The first question that it answered was that kind of like Leo Bolero was released earlier. Barney was released prior to the destruction of the ship as a gift, as like a, ah, I'm not going to let you die for me. Here you go. You're released. Palmer Eldritch released him. That's what he claims. He's like, don't you want to know why? And he's like, I don't care why. No, he's all mopey. He's all mopey because he's unclean. He's like, the dog wouldn't eat me. (laughs) What have you done to me? Well, Palmer doesn't believe it. He's like, unclean, who told you that? And he's like, ah, oh, just some animal in the desert. I'm like, if I, if, you, if I had told somebody that, I was like, ah, oh, just some animal in the desert. It, it sounds like he's a crazy person. I don't know if the word is duplicitous. I don't. I cannot remember. He, he, it seems to me that he is trying to ascribe blame elsewhere. He's like, unclean? No, clear. No, surely no. I mean, the motives of this creature must be questioned. He's trying to say he's not to blame. Yes. Palmer is. Yeah, he's trying to shift blame onto something else or deny that his involvement or what have you. Hmm. Well, it's his metal arm that the jackal sees, right? I mean, yes. I'm assuming. I, I mean, he's trying to convince Barney that he's not a bad guy, I believe, is what he's doing. Well, he said the unclean and the holy are confused. Merged merely is taboo. The ritual, he said, it's like, ah, oh, how can the animal tell the difference between... Yeah, he has excuses after excuse of why, you know, this might be going on. Or Barney calls him out. He says, ah, oh, hell, it's true and you know it. And he does, and this is where we get the origin story. Without sort of really being prompt, Eldritch says, all right, I was cast out from a star system, and he doesn't say which one. And he said, cast out. He's like, I took up residence where that wild young operator come, and he meant Palmer Eldritch. I guess he came across him and... Between stars. It doesn't really say if he's physical or metaphysical, but it says he encountered them. And I doubt Palmer Eldridge was just sitting there. He was probably flying at near the speed of light. So... Well, he's one of a race. Yes, that's true. Who was cast out of a star system by his own people or his own kind. 
he encountered Palmer Eldritch and apparently took him over. Sounds a little bit like Satan, but whatever. That's exactly what I was thinking. Sounds a little bit like an evil spirit inhabiting the body of a mortal. Yes. If, if something is of higher intelligence, we're going to look at it with um, awe and respect, probably. Well, fear. Again, God uh, wants us, at least the Old Testament, God wanted us to fear him. Yeah, he was a dick, though. Well, again, <laughs> the jealous God. He's not the cuddly New Testament God. No, but you know. Yeah. When you have kids, you know, it changes you, I hear. <laughs> oh, it definitely does. I've seen it in all of, all of my friends that have children. They turned into, well, parents, I guess. <laughs> all right. but the, the, You used to say a lot more F-words. <laughs> this creature claims that it is simply trying to perpetuate itself in the only way that it knows how, the only way available to it. And Barney suggests, well, you don't have to die on that ship that you released me from and its response is that there's something worse waiting for it if it doesn't die there and it's like eh i'm okay with it i'm ready to die it's been a long good run yeah that's exactly what you know he said but it just doesn't make sense because he goes through all this effort he does all this stuff and which is kind of contrary to the level of effort he's given to not dying maybe the perpetuation that he's talking about is children and maybe he's already done what's necessary to have the children, so he can die now. I kind of thought that too, but... Well, that's the concept of uh, uh, living forever. If you don't have a god, there is no afterlife, eternal life. How do you, as a non-believer, continue on in this world? Uh, you can have kids. That's a form of immortality, yeah. It's the closest, probably, but let's say you don't have kids. How can you do it? Well, you can create things. Yep. Literature, like a book. art. Of course, there's a lot of people that don't have any uh, <laughs> desire to do that. And then they have to question whether or not, you know, like what, what their life is all about. Right. There's no choosy for them. <laughs> is choosy the body of an alien? So this alien that's out there in the form of Palmer Eldritch uh, stole bits and pieces of his people. No, I'm talking about himself. He's trying to reproduce, right? Oh, of itself. Are this, gotcha. Is this his body that he's giving to people? Oh, like the in, wafer. Yep, in order to propagate himself? Sure, if you can't have children again, what do you do? Well, you cut off limbs of yourself and you feed it or to people. Or strips of your flesh or whatever. And I would also explain the reason why there's all that after image of uh, Palmer Eldritch. Um, Dude, this is a mushroom trip. This is hands down a mushroom trip. I don't disagree. I've heard people talk about this philosophically at parties or whatever. You know, this is not a strange concept to people that have taken mushrooms. Mm. But the question I have then, does that mean that the origin story that was we heard originally is false? That, did this stuff even come from Prox? Did Choosy come from the Prox system? Let's just say yes. Let's just say it's yes. It's so tied in with Palmer Eldritch, this alien from another star system. This is how he's reproducing. This is how he's, you know, getting into everybody. Like, how could it possibly be connected to the Prox system if he's telling the truth about having encountered Palmer Eldritch between stars? Hmm. Good point. One of those two things can't be true. They can't both be true, right? The alien in Palmer Eldritch is telling a story about what Palmer Eldritch did. And to make it believable... It's talking about the prox system and all that other stuff. Okay, keep going, because you didn't do anything to me there. It's reality. Like, it's origin story. 
doesn't have to necessarily sync up to Palmer Eldridge's because Palmer Eldridge's is just a lie. So you think Palmer's lying? I don't know because is it even somebody's really lying. Palmer? Somebody's <laughs> lying. Well, now we're getting the unfettered truth, right? I, you can't trust the devil. <laughs> you can't trust the devil. That's the truth. Oh. Well, I I think eighteen is I kind of nailed it. It's that this choosy, all that had to have happened. I mean, between the stars. I think so. I think so. So I, that's kind of where I think, and I think yes, feeding it, you know, the bloody the the sacrament, you the know, the body and blood, the body of, and blood of Christ. No blood in this case, but yeah, yeah, uh, the wafer essentially is what it is. It may literally be a piece of this alien, dark alien. Then you have it inside you, forever. Yeah, you've you've ingested it, and it has spread. Yeah, and they said it tasted nasty. So I figured if you know you could evolve something that you know, or or selectively tasted grow like something gum gumballs or jelly beans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. So Leo Bolero and Felix Blau are on the return flight from Mars back to Terra, and they're plotting and planning, and they're going to destroy Palmer Eldritch, and this is how it's going to be done. Uh. Okay. What do you want to talk about here? Well, the fact that they both have an artificial right arm. They see it on each other, too. And again, Felix Blau has never taken Choosy. Yep, and he's like, right. hey, Leo, how long have you had that artificial arm? Like he just noticed. Like, <laughs> Get out of here, dude. What is the matter with you? Yeah, and he's like, what? Have you, have you always had that? Huh. And he's like, I don't know. You have one, too. <laughs> Everybody on the ship. On some ways, they're arguing that this is a good thing because the UN will have to face the strangeness of the situation, and they're thinking that this will be good for them in the long run because they're you know they're the enemies of Choosy, they're opposing it, spread, etc. But uh, I think ultimately Leo decides that oh I'm still in the trip. <laughs> That's what's going on. Nothing matters. I'm still in the trip. Eventually, I'll wake up, and when I do, I'll fight. To the death. Um, I had two thoughts there that, yes, one, he's still tripping, or... or, He thinks he's still tripping. Yes. Or two, that, you know, the, let's call it the taint of Palmer Eldritch is spreading. Both of those things could be true. I had the impression that this scene was real, but, yeah, I can't hang my head on that either. Did you notice that Leo became kind of simple-minded? He was saying things like, I am so wise. I am the savior of humanity. Uh, sounds like Krupp, but not as intelligent. It sounds to me like his mind is deteriorating very, very rapidly. I kind of thought it was, but it was like a stress-induced uh, episode of... Why do you keep calling me Leo? Oh, that was the one I was like, uh-oh. That was cool. It almost sounds like Palmer Eldritch was inhabiting Leo entirely, right? Yeah. At least for that moment. Making him forget his identity. Like he had become Palmer Eldritch to the point where... But he snaps back, right? Only a little bit. And it's because of Felix's prodding. He's like, why, why why, do you keep calling me Leo? And he's like, please snap out of it. Think, Leo, think. And he's like, oh, I'm just kidding. I remember now. And then it says, this ship rushed on nearer and nearer Earth. Oh, I know. To me, that was just like it's a plague ship. Carrying Palmer Eldritch to another planet is kind of what I—that's how I felt. Choosy has yet right. to make it to Earth. Mm. 
that ends the chapter. That ends the book. But it left me with many, many, many questions. The first of which is, what's real? Is it possible that we never got out of the choosy trip? That Leo Bolero was in a choosy trip the entire time? It's possible, but I, I want to say no, because there's all these things going on with, for instance, Barney Mayerson on Mars. That I could say that's a red herring. That Leo wouldn't be, you know, wouldn't know about. And doesn't have to know about. Remember, they're perfect simulacrum. Huh. All I could do is exhale. <laughs> right. Well, that's true. They are. Um... It would explain a lot, because Barney, we've been complaining that he's a ding-dong for a long, long time. I have been complaining that he's a ding-dong for a long, long time. And it would make a lot more sense for Barney to be that dumb if it was Leo thinking that Barney's a dumb person. Like a ding-dong. Yeah, because Leo inherently looks down upon anybody who's not evolved. Yeah, he's elitist, and 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 Barney's behavior has been so just categorically rotten, backwards, um, uninformed, all of these things. But at the same time, maybe that's just Barney because he was a he was a dirtbag in the beginning of the book. You know, he's a womanizer. He didn't he didn't care about other people. He's selfish. He was all about his job and not about anything else. And Leo was uh, the one that thought. Barney was pining for his Barney's wife. Right, exactly. Or ex-wife. Right. I mean, if I remember correctly. You're correct. You're correct. He was original. We were originally let in on that by the guy on the bus or the train when it was Richard Nat. But it was it was Leo that informed us later on that you got to get over your wife, bro. Here, take one of mine. Remember that? Yeah, I do. If this is reality, <laughs> if this what we're doing right now is reality. I'm just thinking that like half the book was written as a red herring, if it's not. Is it a waste if that's the case? No, because it, it it's it's causing us to question what is real and what Okay, there was yeah. a section in here. There was a section in here where this is Leo when he's thinking about how there's some power inside of him that's going to allow him to fight Palmer Eldritch. And he's like there it's not touched by any of these three, the evil negative trinity of alienation, blurred reality, and despair that Eldritch brought back with him from Proxima. So the blurred reality thing, I think, is a the fact that we can't tell is just an implication that they can't tell. Well, but Leo thinks he's more or less immune to the effects of Palmer Eldritch. Or... Obviously he's not, though. Yeah, and I know, yes, because... So that that's a real easy explanation, though. This alien creature is just that much more powerful than human beings, right? It has that much more. And he took Choosy. You know, not that he took it. He got injected with it, but <laughs> uh, this thing has whatever. Skills. This thing has skills. Another question that I have is, if this is reality, Leo didn't take any more, so why is it suddenly becoming more powerful? And why is Felix Blau seeing the stigmata when he's never taken Choosy and Anne is seeing the stigmata when she's never taken Choosy. Is it spreading through spores? Oh, because it's a lichen? Yes. I... And it's like a mushroom trip. Well, I think and it's are like... the people that take it... Re... Is this how it's reproducing? I think it's turning every single one of them into a Palmer Eldritch entity. I think it's getting inside of everybody. I think that's true. I think you're correct. But how is it doing it? I think the easiest avenue is by ingestion, but... Which Felix Blau is immune. He didn't take it. Anne hasn't taken it. So how are they getting it in them? They're breathing it in. It's osmosis. Somehow they're getting it in them. 
It's this pervasive mental, mentally spreading plague. I mean, I would vote for spores, but I got no alternative. That's the that's the other problem. Like, <laughs> I can't disprove or whatever because it's the only thing I can think of that would make any sense. Well, I think it's metaphysical, not physical. And yet they're eating it. Like the whole thing started by them getting injected or eating it. Well, it's like. I mean, God is within you whether or not you believe in God. And it's, well, Palmer Eldritch is in you whether or not you've taken, you know, the holy wafer of disgusting mushroom, rotten mushrooms. Mm. If we ignore the mechanism, Palmer Eldritch is still in everybody. And it's either by proximity or by direct devotion or... It has to be by proximity. Otherwise, why is he going to Earth? Yes, and that's kind of what I was thinking. This was like effectively a... Uh, plague ship a plague ship if that's what you want to look at it that's when it ended with oh and it continued on to earth like oh my gosh it's still spreading yeah it's just started if we if we go with the assumption that leo is still in his trip leo would still be on luna yeah and i guess barney's not even on mars really and either is Anne. right but that means that the only person that knows that he needs to stop palmer eldritch is um, under the control of Palmer Eldritch on Luna and can do nothing about it. Mm. And remember, this was like UN sanctioned; like it was gonna spread to Mars. The only problem is that when when Leo was in the hospital, he was warned by Palmer Eldritch. I guess it was during the trip that these you know these aliens and then him are trying to take over with Choosy. Yeah, the Proxers right? were trying to take over via Choosy. There's like a, a semblance of Palmer Eldritch that actually got out to let Leo know that something was up. Okay, so you're asking what is the point of Palmer and Zoe telling us that the aliens from Prox are going to take over? Well, it's just, it's funny that this Palmer Eldritch that's inhabited by the aliens still was able to slip out and let people know of the plan. Right. Know the plan. Right. And it seems maybe... like there's no no l- limit to the control that the alien has over Palmer Eldritch. It's like Palmer Eldritch is gone. Uh, except for the after image of Palmer Eldritch that actually got out. That's the only thing I've seen. And, and to me, that could just be subterfuge. You know, like blame the Proxers for what's going on. Tell everybody that it's the, the drug is coming from Prox. Where did this come from? Oh, it came from Prox. Oh, okay, yeah, sure. We take this other stuff called Candy that came from Io. It's very similar. Sure. But if it came from interstellar space and it's actually strips of flesh from some satanic creature... You're less likely to want to eat <laughs> someone's flesh. I think that he came up with a story that was believable that would innocuously you know, just slip past some people's guard. Because yeah. all you need is one person to take it. And then it spreads. Yeah. Well, it's just like Sam Reagan wanted a different experience. So if you provide him a similar product and say, it's like this other product that you've been taking, but it's better. Right. It's familiar, but it's better. Right. Um, it would be impossible to resist. And uh, let's be honest. People will huff paint to get high. They'll chew on bark. They'll smoke nutmeg, banana peels. You name it. They'll do it to get high. I'm not proud of what I've done. It's super, <laughs> it's super explainable that people would jump on this train. 
it sounds to me like it doesn't matter whether you choose not to do it. It sounds like you're going to get infected no matter what. Yeah, it spreads. Yes. Or I don't know if infected is the right word. You're going to get possessed or tainted whether you take Unclean. it or not. Unclean. Unclean. Whether you take it or not. So you're like, it's it's just like, you know, it's just like the original sin, as you said. You're born with it. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's nothing you can do to You know, that's a good point because the original perpetrators of the original sin and the, you know, what preceded the fall of man was uh, Eve and Adam. Yep. Being deceived by the snake. So that was another thing that I was wondering. And, you know, so like all of humanity is cursed by that original sin if you're a Catholic, you know. So it does make sense that the original perpetrator of the sin would then be... If you want to use, you know, what, whatever, the metaphor, the analogy, Palmer Eldridge is the serpent. It's Barney and Anne are Adam and Eve. That's what I was getting at. Okay. Which to me means that this is the Genesis story for the religion of Mars. But they don't act like Adam and Eve. I mean, I think it's a pretty thin They do wear clothing. Analogy. It's not just that. Yes, it's a man and a woman, and they've been tempted or sorely tempted or what have you. But now they have truth and knowledge of good and evil. Also eternal life, which is also what Palmer wrote. So there's, there's things that make it similar, but there's, there's, it's thin, like I said. Well, I think you said it very well. I, I, I leave this book uncertain what the future is, uncertain whether Barney is in his trip. And this is the part where I told you I like it. Even if I didn't like the rest of the book... I like leaving, leaving on a cliffhanger with not knowing what's going to happen next. It's thought-provoking. I like that. That's If I could sum it up, I, I like the way the book ended. <laughs> uh, if you get rid of the open-endedness of it and maybe the, the hallucinatory uh, aspects of the book, it feels like he was writing a Star Trek episode. Just alien life, have to figure out what happened, this is what's going on, and then they solve it at the end, you know, that type of thing. Yeah, except they didn't solve it. There's nothing, well, again, the open-endedness, yeah. the, the hallucination aspect, and even that sometimes, uh, you may get that within a Star Trek. Yeah, you. I think uh, you did. Did you Did you guys watch the one in The Next Generation where Tasha Yar died? Yeah. There was the black slug creature of absolute evil. That's kind of how I felt about mm. this. You know, and he was cast out by his own kind, and and he's just absolute corruption and vileness. And it killed Tashiar for no reason, because it said, because it bothers you. Right. Goodbye, Tashiar. I think she quit, didn't she? And they had to write her out of the show? Well, it had to be something like that, yes. I believe so, and then she regretted it for the rest of her life, because the show just kept going and going and going, and she quit. And she could have been on that show for seven years. Probably a good thing. Season one. I was not a big fan of her character anyway. So everybody likes Worf, right? Oh, Worf is so much better. That's what I was gonna say. It was good for Worf. Great for Michael Dorn. Michael Dorn. Yeah. (laughs) Michael Dorn. All right. So let's see. Yule, do you got any final thoughts? Philip has expressed his final thoughts. He liked the way that it ended. You've kind of suggested it's a Star Trek episode. I'm looking and I'm seeing Philip K. Dick in everything right now. Yeah. If I see people talking so positively about the Matrix, or I see people talking about obviously things that are exactly ref, you know uh, from his stuff like a Blade Runner and things like that, it all is in here in this book to some degree. He was at the height of his power when he wrote this book. Right. 
I think when we see with artists, especially writers, but you'll see it in music and other things also, that you get to a certain age or you get to, again, the height of your powers of being an author and you no longer try to do anything different, but what you try to do is perfect the thing that makes you who you are. Refinement. Right, right. I mean, it's very rare when a, a musician does something different later on in life. And usually they have to go to another country to figure that out. A little appropriation, please. Sure. If that's the case, and this is that book, whether it's the final result of what Philip K. Dick was trying to accomplish, or it's the beginning, what I'm seeing in this book is distillations of it in other people's work all the time. Sure. Especially if we're talking science fiction. Oh, he was super influential. And uh, that's quite impressive. He gets a lot of things right, and he ignores the stuff a lot of things that wrong. you can't possibly know, you know, other than, you know, us with our cell phones and stuff like that. The cell phones ruined Seinfeld. If there was a cell phone at the time, almost every Seinfeld wouldn't have had a problem, sure. you know. Sure. I'm watching, like, reruns of Law & Order right now. Yeah. And it's just so funny that, you know, they don't always have a cell phone on them. You know, they have to go to a pay phone or something like that. Yeah. And, you know, they have to go back to office to get their, their marching orders and stuff like that. And you don't necessarily need to do that anymore. No. And that's pretty crazy if you think about it. But, uh, no, I, I, I enjoyed this book. It's trippy. It's heavily philosophical. Yeah. Uh, whether or not God is real, what is God, who we are, are we real? And then again, that, that open-endedness on like, is Leo Bolero the main character in this entire thing? Is it just his interpretation of what other people are? And it really doesn't matter because again, like in real life, you put out that persona, like let's say in social media, that is who you are at that moment. You know, who we are is what we present ourselves to be. And there's a lot of different avenues and uh, ways to do it. And I think that's a lot in this book also. Does that make sense? <laughs> Any of that? I don't know, Yule. I don't know. Well, that's why I say he gets a lot of stuff right. You know, he doesn't know what he's getting right, but... Well, he's dead, so... Or, or is he? Yeah. Yeah, he is. <laughs> yeah, here he is. He's living. He he's living on right now in this book. Did you guys have any disappointments? There were some unanswered questions, or let's call it plot lines that never evinced themselves, like, what happened to Ronnie? I know. That's my biggest disappointment, was that she seemed so promising as a character and was just neglected entirely. What happened to Richard and Emily Nat? Not that they were important, but in the very first chapter, I was rooting for Richard. <laughs> yep, yep, I remember. I remember. Until he came out to be kind of a... Ding dong, dude. A and it also seemed like it was so out of the blue that, that Barney cared so much for Emily. And that she devolved, and that didn't really go There's anywhere. No payoff, yeah. And, yeah. Sorry, Phil. You were No, on no. That was basically the same thing. That was a plot line that was, was developing, and then it was just dropped on both of those counts. But again, if we're to believe that Leo is the star of this thing or he's the main person, or nothing ended after his encountering Palmer in the beginning. Yes, his trip, then permanent trip. all of this stuff is just uh, what's going on, and well, I can explain that stuff away and not be upsetting. Y yeah. You mean in his mind? Well, or his choosy trip, whatever you want to call it. 
I, I have to assume that he's the creator of what's going on inside the Juicy Trip, but also that Palmer Eldridge has a lot of influence in that area. But right. I don't know. If you think about just this last chapter that we read, when you read the first part of it and you're going through all the philosophy and they're talking about whether or not this is an alien, whether or not it's a god, and then all of a sudden you read the last third of the chapter and you're like, oh, we can throw out everything. You know, because it's just Leo Bolero and his trip. And it doesn't it doesn't satisfy on a certain level if that's true. Because it means that you kind of have to go back and pick through the novel and be like, okay, no, none of this matters. None of this is real. None of this is true. This is all just Leo Bolero's twisted perception. Like, what's Barney doing on Mars? What does Leo think Barney's doing on Mars? This book has reread value because we'd have to go back and read it again with the advanced knowledge and understanding that we had from reading it the first time. And then we can start picking up some of these clues a lot better. But on the first read, you know, we were grasping at straws. We were trying to figure stuff out. And sometimes I think maybe we got it right. But I think most of the time we were doing it. <laughs> we, oh, we, got, we got most things wrong, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like a broken clock, correct twice a day, but wrong most of the time. In our chapter-by-chapter chapter format, we, you know, blunder around this book until the very end. Like, ah, I wish I could reread that. And Well, do you feel like we missed something? Well, I know we did. The details. We lost the details. But if you're talking about just the core comprehension i mean i think we got it it's and the core comprehension is we can't comprehend what's going on <laughs> that's right we asked the right questions i think as we're reading this book i feel confused you know I mean? a little bit on that t- i do know what you mean i feel like there's no way for me to go into a novel and not ask the questions that i have been asking and that we have been asking along the way but at the same time given how the book ends i can't help but feel like we've missed the plot did we I mean, I've never talked to anybody else about this novel. I have no idea other than what Mike Stevens told me from Texas you know, that it's terrifying. And I agree. I have to agree that the end of this book is a bit terrifying. Nothing you can do. You know, the invasion's already happened by the time we're aware of it. Yeah, the, 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 the last page is, is, is the terrifying part. Last sentence. Like in a War of the Worlds type situation, you just fight the monsters, right? Well, the monsters died from the bacteria. Well, I mean, you have to figure out a way to kill yeah, these but a, They were unsuccessful. But here, you just don't know it's even happening. I really felt that there, this was a... There's some anti-capitalism sentiment oh, yeah. in this book. It still is that way because we are a people in America, in the world for the most the part. West. Where we care about our, our things, whatever that... Th- it doesn't have to be physical objects, but things... We're so wrapped up in that that we won't see. It's easy to see when things are invading, but mm-hmm. when you can't see it, when it's being wrapped up and uh, and, and it's being mass produced, it's being uh, it's being commercialized for us. We're almost always ready to go in for the new thing. Oh yeah, dude. And choosy sounds like a real awesome time. Yes. <laughs> And if I'm if I'm philosophically inclined, it sounds like an even better time. Right. The perfect vector for an invasion, right? Does it allow you to predict the future? I feel like it doesn't. It allows you to speculate and interpolate into the future, but if you're not Barney, you're gonna have a real hard time. And that was another thing. It's like why why does Barney have this precog ability 
do you see um, to get Leo on the road? That's why it was a vehicle for the author. I don't know. Maybe I feel like if you had the precog ability, you should have been able to see the invasion coming. But if we accept it and never know it's coming, it would have made the news, man. It would not have made the news. You don't think so? Not if everybody takes it at the same time. And and we're we're supposing that you don't even need to take it in order to be infected. Yeah, but don't you think that the world would be really, really funky before and after? You know, you've got the world before and then you've got the world after choosy. You don't think there would be like a glaring difference between those two things that would be noticeable? Not if anybody's not reporting on it. It's instantaneous. Yeah, no, 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 no. I I think you're missing the point. There would be some talk show host somewhere talking about it. It would be surreal. The difference would be surreal. But to whom? To anybody that's watching from the before. Hmm. But nobody would be. They are infected. All of the precogs would be like, huh, that's different. Oh, it's weird. I can't find a paper that talks about anything bad happening. Yeah, all the papers are just talking about all the stuff they always talk about. They'd probably turn really religious, too. Mm. And they also might not even write anything. Yeah. That would be the one thing. Uh, Because everybody is, like, under, right? I guess so. Or are they under and they're just, like, kind of walking in, like, this... This fog. I don't know. Maybe the world goes on just exactly normally, but now everybody's got a taint to mm, true. them. True. So you, you you brought up the question: Is did we miss anything? And I think I think we missed tons on a philosophical sense. There, it's it was heavy on religion and, like you said, um, 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 commercialism, and then uh, materialism, and then image and you know, identity. Our perception of the real and the unreal. There's so many components in this novel that you would have to revisit and give it a good hard... You Are know. you going to? No. Okay. We don't have time. We have another book to read. We do have another book to read. Thank you. That was a beautiful transition, you all. So why don't we leave this novel where it is? I hope that oh, you man. guys listening enjoyed the novel as much as we did. Luke, you were correct. At the end, the last 40 pages, it really kicked off and got in my opinion quite good. But let's let's talk about the next. Let's talk about the next book. Shadows Linger. Okay, so this is a first for us. We're going to go on to the second book in a series. Shadows Linger by Glenn Cook. Now, why are we revisiting this book, Yule? Or this series. Sci-fi and fantasy read-alongs first book that we got together and talked about was The Black Company. Well, there, it's a series of books, but this is the first trilogy. It is the original trilogy written in the mid-80s. We tried to craft this uh, podcast as, you know, doing first books, not necessarily the things that everybody's going to want to talk about. Because you can find a million Game of Thrones podcasts out there. Yeah. And they've mined those to death. Steven Erickson, too, at this point. <laughs> and when we did the Black Company and then Steven Erickson, there still wasn't a lot of people doing that Isn't kind of that stuff. Isn't that crazy? And now everybody is. But they haven't been doing Black Company, and now we're going up to number two. And I think that it stands to reason that if we enjoy doing book two, we're going to go ahead and do book three eventually. Plus, we've had people bugging us about it, too. Not for a while, <laughs> but we definitely had people asking after this one in particular. I mean, more people have been asking for Malazan than than the Black Company, but I'm still loath to go back to the Malazan stuff because, uh, to me, it's oversaturated, and it, they're really long books. 
They are really long books. Well, I'm excited to do the second book, mostly because when we did the first one, we were, it was rough. I mean, we didn't have a process. We didn't have a format. We were trying to figure out how to do this podcast. And I I thought it was a little on the rough side. So in a way, I get a chance to revisit that storyline and get some some satisfaction out of doing it with a, a much, much better than we did the first time. And we get to get back to fantasy, too, which we haven't done in quite a while. The last couple of books were, what, Asimov, and then Slaughterhouse-Five, and then Philip K. Dick. So we did three sci-fi yeah. books in a row. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't think there's going to be anything in Black Company that's going to be as Philip K. Dick, Asimov, or Slaughterhouse-Five. <laughs> Vonnegut. It's going to be enjoyable, way less thought-provoking, but certainly enjoyable. Sword right. and Sorcery? What is it? What is it even? What is this category called? Dark Fantasy? That's just an old term for horror. They call it, I don't know, there's there's the grim dark stuff, right? Right, right, grim dark. This would be more in line with that, but I don't know if it's exactly That's eh, It's a like label, that. who really cares ultimately, but... Well, I mean, you asked. I did, I did. But... <laughs> I'm just waiting to see someone swing a sword. That's all. We're going to part ways with y'all here. Uh, it's been a good book, in my opinion. It's been a nice ride. But we are going to have to see you in the next one, which will be soon, yeah. nine days from now, if you're listening to this. <laughs> That's right, it'll be nine days from now. Yeah, exactly. Magically. All right, well, thank you for joining us. We'll see you in the next one. Bye, all. Goodbye. <laughs>